This is one of five bonus episodes of the Zero Cafe podcast that are recorded live at the 2021 edition of the conference, formerly known as Conversion Hotel, which was held on the lovely island of Tessel in the Netherlands. Theme of this session is optimizing for customer lifetime value. And my guests in the cafe are Carl Gillis, better known as the G in AG Consult, and Tim Stewart, director at Tiras Digital Limited. The Ciro Cafe podcast is made possible by Clavio, VWO, and the Online Influence Institute. And of course, a big thanks to Tom Wessling and the rest of the organization for having us at their conference. So we started talking about CLTV and that it's relatively easy to start calculating that uh, when you have a single online store, uh, but it becomes much harder when you need to include multiple channels. So my question then is how to try to do this and, and how to start approaching this. Uh, I'm trying to think of a way to explain this without using the word Amazon. I'm not sure I can. <laughs> um, should, even should you, should you try to? or do Do what you can do. So this, this is a lot of the people, and the same is true with when we're, um, we're talking about doing testing. A lot of people used to jump in going, oh, I need to do an MVT test. Why? Because they're the good ones. And, and because, do you want to do some research first before you even run an A-B test? Let's get your analytics working. So there's, there's an awful lot of kind of the hot new shiny thing. And I think trying to jump into the if we could get more money out of every customer, we win. Yes, but there are all these prerequisite ste steps, even acquiring a customer in the first place, that need to be done properly, and then you can start to move this forward. And I don't think every business is set up to work to a, a lifetime um, value or a increasing the value per customer uh, setup simply because they haven't got the other stuff done. They need to do the basic yeah. bits uh, first. Or they go in a crazy mode of selling 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 that's also often the case it's like yeah but we do something and it's like what and then you see for example all the email communication they do is always targeted towards buy this buy this buy this yeah. and they don't have a conversation with the client so yeah it's, 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 it's old it's, school it's, it's push no, media yeah, isn't it's, it? it's, like, it's pretty I, old I've, school most of the time i've got a target to hit you yeah. you need to buy something <laughs> from me it's like yeah. did you think about asking what they need mm -hmm. and that that i think is where mm -hmm. the 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 challenge comes is that business. Not every business is, needs to have a lifetime value set up, mm -hmm. just because it doesn't fit. It's high, it's low loyalty, commodity product. You are literally firing on volume, turn it out the door. But if you, where you've got an opportunity, and again, trying not to mention the Amazon thing, they've worked on the business that it doesn't really matter what they're selling as long as they're selling you something. And so they've they've gone to much more of a kind of a, a pull approach rather than the push approach in terms of going. Look, we got it here. How can we solve for you? And we've had kind of the buzzword for the last few years. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> the buzzword we've had for the last few years has been user-centric. But that, again, it's just a buzzword. People actually say user-centric all the time. We're a user-centric, people-first, data-driven company. Do you want to show me some evidence of that? Because <laughs> I've not seen that in, in my... I remember being at a company that said uh, all the designers, they were now going to do a user-centric uh, uh, model. And basically what that meant was it, previously they had discussions, okay, I'm gonna do, I've made this design because I like it. And now they said, okay, now I made this design because I think the users will like it. <laughs> Our uh, personas will like it. Our personas will like it even better, yeah. It's a slightly off topic, but uh, has anybody followed the Twitter account? Um, shit user stories. 
<laughs> if you don't follow the Twitter account shit user stories because if anybody's worked in a product team and has had to put this sort of stuff through then the amount of just on the nose I've mm. sat there and had customers give me hypotheses like that and going the reason we think this works is we want their money it's like this <laughs> <laughs> If that's, if that both parts know the way that transaction's gonna work, if both parts agree with that, then that's fine. And you service that as well as possible. But it's not user-centric to go, their money should be in my pocket mm. without giving them a reason for it. No. So that, that's the, the kind of the two-year-old hot topic. And I think now we're coming into you know, customer value optimization or whatever euphemism, whatever three-letter acronym you wanna put on it. I'd like to see, see some people do the basics properly first, yeah. and then we can move on to right, what would do better, or particularly in like SaaS situations, shaping the audience. We aren't well suited to serve this type of customer, so we should do less acquisition of those. We should maybe not optimize for those. Mm -hmm. But that's a level of sophistication. You need to be kind of self-aware as a business as to who you serve well. And Getting the right customer. Rather than going, I'll take everybody, go, let's do a really good job on these guys and allow the fact that the high churn, low loyalty people will go to our competitors because mm -hmm. they're expensive to run and we don't want them and they're expensive oh. to buy and Google keeps cranking the price up and Facebook mm -hmm. keeps going. Let's not bother. Let's win on the ones we can win. And that's a really hard conversation to have with a CFO who's been told growth, 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 growth. And you're going profitability <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and uh, a lot of companies um, are, are, are trying to adopt a, a subscription model um, that's, that's quite popular uh, do, do you think that's going to help with that focus on, on lifetime value nah. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> nah. <laughs> nah well for some yes but yeah. I think yeah okay it's, it's a lot of companies have different problems to handle and it's but yeah, that's d a new shiny object again. It's like, oh, something yeah. new, make it into a subscription form. Let's try this, let's do that. D does it help the customer? Mm, sometimes, but most yeah. of the time, no. If it's consumable, if it's a consumable, if you're helping them with discovery, like uh, things like Gusto and the, the taste mm. boxes, then there's an angle where what you're selling is your curation, not the actual product. Mm -hmm. So those things and the direct to consumer stuff like Harry's razors you may have heard of them if you've listened to a podcast <laughs> ever um, but those things are kind of hot right now but again why copycat if that's uh -huh. not what your business is set up to do if you're I saw somebody trying to do this with car tyres it's like yeah they're a consumable but I every four years <laughs> but in the last 18 months you probably put a lot less miles on your car mm -hmm. so if you've got to replace my tyres every six months because mm -hmm. I'm a high volume driver contract that's maybe nah. for lease lease companies yeah. those are your customers yeah but but this again but that's that's not everybody so they're yeah. trying to trying to put a like a square peg into a round hole is is this the repeated problem every time it, it's it works but what's the benefit to the customer uh, do, you remember, do you guys remember the the amazon buttons where you could just yeah. reorder oh, yeah. the dash buttons the dash buttons they've, they've finally killed them and i thought that's a technical solution mm to a problem I'm not sure anybody has. No, indeed. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, but it came out on April 1st yeah. and I was kind of like, uh. what, what, really? It, oh no, they actually are making these. <laughs> but that, again, kind of follow the logic and obviously the the, the, the Echo and the rest of all have, have Siri that you can do the voice ordering now. But for the most part, that's just Amazon just going, I'll make it easy for you to get what you need. Yeah. It, or, or maybe the problem is still there, but the 
a button like that is not the solution for no, you. Not the solution. You're still running out of milk. So he's still <clears> running out of milk. He's still going to run out for time, especially kind of like delivery and stuff at the moment. And then they're one trick ponies. You've got the the surf button on your washing machine. Mm. Well, one if you've got a toddler, good luck on that one. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was very little in the way of kind of like accidental nudge detection because it's not doesn't benefit Amazon to go oh sorry you ordered 50 not my problem and because it's something you will consume as long as you can store it it'll still work but ultimately that makes people reluctant and you know, there's no chance to swap brands so I can see the advantage to the brand I can see the advantage to the logistics company delivering that stuff to the end user no yeah but so th this is the kind of it's the mother load isn't it people won't give me my money give it again next month, make no effort, reduce my acquisition costs. No wonder they're all chasing it, but it's a lot harder to do than it is to say. And if you're not doing the sale part right, if you're not doing the thank you email right, if you're not making sure that the- The after sale? The original <laughs> logistics, the customer you service make, works. Yeah, you, yeah. Might, you might make a lot of people in the, in the company angry or out, get them out of a job if, if you're doing this. I was, uh, so I was working for, the co for a coffee company and I was telling them, actually, for, for the return uh, uh, purchase, do we actually need the website? <laughs> I mean, we already know what they want. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, and, and the, level of, the level of effort that you're competing with when buying coffee is basically, everyone is going to the supermarket anyway. Mm -hmm. So basically, the level of effort that you're competing with is someone doing. <laughs> and then you have a whole, this whole website with the whole process. But they're, they're all trying to do the printer. They're all trying to do the printer ink thing. You know, look, you've got the coffee machines. Once I sold you the coffee machine, you can buy my brand of pods. So then that makes sense for them because yep. effectively you're hooked in for life. But it's, people are wise to this now. They're yep. well aware of the fact that if I go the Apple ecosystem, every device I'm going to buy was going to be because it all just works yep. together. And so people are thirty euros for a cable. They're, they're, they're canny enough to know. Mm. And then what I think's made the difference there is. They've branded it as though, yeah, that means you're part of my team. We've, we've identified tribes yeah. and people are selling that as the, yeah, you're in the ecosystem, but that's actually your badge of honor. So it's quite a clever sleight of hand, but all you've done is lock it. And I think that's changing, yeah? Well, also in the printer industry, for example, HP is known for those cheap printers and exceptional expensive cartridges. And brands like Epson now, they have like more expensive printers, but you can just buy a big bottle of ink and that's it. Yeah, my, uh, my Epson I wanted to print, print something in black and white last month and didn't want to print because the color uh, cartridge was not uh, was, was empty. Mm -hmm. yeah. There's no cyan. You the, can't the print without cyan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so uh, the, the, the problem we've got, I think, with lifetime <coughs> value stuff is because it's been abused so much. Mm. The customer, the people you're trying to get that lifetime value from is very wa rightly wary of these tricks. Yeah. So the people who've done really well with it doing that are the people who have gone and... I work in automotive, which is quite high re repurchase rate. Like once you're in a brand, three years time when your lease runs up, you'll probably be in the same brand again. And there's one chance, there's a six month window where they can do what they call a conquest sale, where Audi will really market the shit out of it to get you out of the, mm -hmm. out of the BMW and into their Audi. Maybe we should stress the word value a little bit less and more customer lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> but those ones you can sell, yeah. don't you know when uh, they're the service is coming in, you know, when their tires are coming in, you know, when their <coughs> wife's car's due for service, you can, with the right data, sit there and go, we don't need to rinse £20,000 profit out of the original car because we, for the next 20 years, we'll be taking a £1,000 a year off you and everybody you speak to, you'll be going, 
like this brand because they look after me. But that's a long game, and an awful lot of the targets we're working mm -hmm. to it, are all based on this year's sure. financial ROI. And so it's very hard to explain that your payoff is going to be in about 10 months plus minimum before you even start to see ROI on your cost per acquisition. And as acquisition costs go up, that sums harder and harder to balance. And, and, and difficult to test. Yeah, <laughs> which annoys the CROs. Yep. We can't A-B yeah. test that. You don't have to A-B mm -hmm. test no. that. <laughs> you could just see, does the number go yep, up? Indeed. <laughs> Are the people happier? Yeah. 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 But also, uh, those car companies are, are switching to subscription models, right? I mean, yeah. see all these ads for... Well, I have all these Volvo ads in my timeline and then look at the monthly cost and I think, oh, maybe not. Yeah, <laughs> I, I too look at those going, oh, it's, it's, it's 300 pound a month cheaper. That would almost make sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a whole different thing in terms of fleet disposal there. though. So there, there is a hidden cost to when that car is no longer active, they've got to take it back in, refurb it, and get it back out into the second market and they need to control supply and demand there as well. Um, so when you buy that car, you don't see that, what they call defleeting problem. But when, you're, when they are creating their business model, they basically need to cover that cost, which is why it's a dissuasive price for a reason. For some people, it makes sense. And at the moment, they're only appearing, appealing to that higher tier people because that's the market they've identified they can work to. And if you are high net worth or it's easier for you to go, I will rent this, I'll have this, and I've got some flexibility. And the Merc one's quite clever because you can kind of be in your saloon car for nine months of the year and then go, mm. can I have the estate to go on holiday for two months? Mm. And that's a supply and demand thing where they need to have a massive stock. It's like having a higher fleet. But that flexibility, I think, where, yeah. like you've seen the car share and the kind of Uber Tesla model, direct sale, transport's going to be fun in the next couple of years. There's, there's some real game-changing going on. And, yeah, that that's where I can see car ownership being kind of a hobbyist thing only. Especially when it's a Rover Rover Jeep, yeah. Um, let, let's let's uh, let's try to bring it back to to uh, for for zero specialist uh, working. And I mean, I've I've often uh, you do experiments, and it's, it all feels uh, very short term. Uh, whatever you can measure within those four weeks that you run the experiment, uh, uh, practically, can we do experiments on on customer lifetime value? Can we even? Can we, can we get there? How, how do we make that happen? Or, or are there proxies that we can use for this? Yeah. I think, I, I'm not sure about the testing part as such. Well, yep. on the short, well. For optimizing in general. Yeah, well, the first week, yes, after the sale, but yeah. the long term, no. But I think the rest of the process, we have the research and <laughs> see what is the problem and how can we solve it. And that, that's. But how do we relate that, the, the, the practical work that we do? Uh, with that, that, that distance, uh, the, the number in the distance, that's customer lifetime value. Yeah, you're, you're not going to get the answer in your bottom line. So you have to use proxies. And But if, you've, if you are in a situation where you've got the data to understand the relationship between they've come in, they do X, Y, Z, the patterns of behavior, then you go, right, acquiring more people through channel one, mm -hmm. this messaging, we know a bigger lump of people in our about-to-churn pot who've been primed to not churn means our chance to churn has dropped we should see the results of that in six months but you you can't wait six months to go that was truly a good test but what you do is you're just layering this time series analysis so you go okay these are things where we're, our okr is we're going to do more stuff to not treat purchases like crap 
after mm-hmm. they've bought, but actually spend more time looking after our returning users and making their job easier for their restocking than we do on new customer acquisition. And that's going to be a big focus of every test we do, every advert we put out, the way we build our returning users login create account form is going to be more focused to you're already with us great news this bit's easy but putting that next to the create account actually already sells the account in if you do it right you balance it but that's not going to show itself immediately but you can go well more bodies registering is a bonus it's our guardrail we don't want to annoy those but our return people going through faster spending more more frequently mm-hmm we know that's a strong signal that chances are we've done something that's going to help further down the pipeline. So yeah, proxies is the only way you could do it, and you can test and hypothesize and then watch that. But you end up basically using time series analysis to go, look, six months ago we did this, there were changes made, do we see the results following down that whole pipeline that would back up our hypothesis that looking after people, you know, they're happier with it. More money in the bank, yes. <laughs> More money in the bank, yes. Uh, do we have any questions? Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. We do. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah. I do. Yes, it's all those questions. One. Yeah. Page one. <laughs> Omar has a large, <laughs> large notepad in front of him. Yeah, I wrote down a couple of questions. So, from research, we know that retention is an important part to at least rephrasing it. Um, I read a study on uh, from Harvard. Like five percent increase of uh, retention already has an, can get it given a increase of uh, 25 to 95 percent of profits. So it's an important thing to do. But I see a lot of companies only focusing on acquisition a lot of time. So. Um, the question I had from the beginning, beginning a little bit, how do you guys actually uh, educate, uh, educate your customers around this topic? I'm so glad I'm doing this with an, uh, with an audience now, so I much better questions than I, uh, <laughs> than I have. Yes, I know. <laughs> I'd come back to you with a question. Is Have you established that that's what the company wants to do? Because it may well be that retention is the ideal business model, profitably, etc. But there are businesses who are in high growth where they are literally targeted on acquisition. Effectively, if they're first to market, they're willing to pay more yeah. to acquire, yeah. to basically steal oxygen from the market from their competitors. So, they grow market share in them. so market share is their target at, at all costs. Because yeah. how many of these big names we see these unicorns are running at massive multi-million losses because they know once they've got to a certain critical mass, yeah. They can turn that tap off and they basically dominate their entire space. So, you know, SaaS people shouldn't be listening to this, but that's very much the SaaS game in terms of I grab it first, the other guy can't get it. So I would, before, before I started going, oh, you're doing this all wrong, I'd be go, can I just check and see what your business strategy is? Yeah. Have you done the maths? And if they go, oh, we never thought of it like that, just acquisition good. Separate side, separate side. Right, we can have a chat. But if they go, no, here's a structure, here's our timing, here's our runway. If you hear the word runway, okay, who's funding you? Find out when that money runs out, because that tends to be the timeline they put on it. And then you can optimize towards what their business goal is. And if you may not agree with it, you may go, it's a bit short-sighted, but that's what they want to achieve. And then you have to influence change because you spot they've got far less runway, they're not going to gain market share from whatever data you've got, then you have to gently nudge those decision makers to go, look, it's choice. You can crash and burn or you could pivot. And quite often at that level, they're paying you to tell them their baby's ugly. They just need some data to back it up. 
that's so that's the basically then the, the answer for. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wish that's a really long way to say it depends. <laughs> what we often do is uh, surveys again, <laughs> but before and after the sale, and see if there is a difference in customer satisfaction from the moment they buy, and then a few weeks later, and then we can sometimes convince a client like, hey, you're doing pretty good in this section, but there seems to be something wrong with your customer service or your after-sales support. So you also were talking so also about, were talking uh, about using proxies uh, mm. and saying some things about customer being happy or happiness around there. So is MPS also so like sound good? <laughs> Proxy and error. Carl's getting a stroke. <laughs> the, 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 no, the no, po no point in it score. <laughs> yeah. So not NPS, Sorry, but, but better customer satisfaction. Customer <laughs> happiness. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. It's incredibly important, I think, but uh, not yeah. NPS. What, what, what are your, your favourites, uh, Carl? Or, or, or least uh, In general? <laughs> Yeah, for, for customer satisfaction, I mean, there, there's, a, there's a whole range of... I love uh, customer effort score. Okay, yeah. Because then you... Point it's a really specific yeah, uh, yeah. On a task, right? Yeah, and it's, yeah, it's on a task, but, well, the ID of the customer effort score, because it's kind of a negative question, like, yeah, how, yeah. <laughs> how difficult was it? And it makes people think, so it, it gives you a lot of real inputs to improve stuff. But yeah. you can play with... It, it's much more actionable than NPS, definitely, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, PS is like good for the board room. Yeah. <laughs> it's a no point score. <laughs> yeah, so, I, it, it depends. So if you've got um, measurement of these things, you can quantify. Sorry, sorry, else. <laughs> but you can quantify the gaps, so like things between how many people did we. If we set the target of this will be delivered within two days, we'll have this level of returns. And then you can say, so, so did, did the effort we make in mean more people arrive with the product right first time, we've got this many fewer returns, and more people who have recency frequency have come back and purchased something that they should purchase, that would be likely mm. to purchase, that demonstrates, hey, I'm happy with this, I bought my printer, and I'm buying my ink from you. We didn't break something in that relationship. You can also go the actual speak to people route. There you go, else. <laughs> and rather than trying to do score, but you've you got your customer service, like when people take notes, take notes, incentivize them to, to get open questions to people mm -hmm. not just kind of fix this but and then record it somewhere and if you want to do it manually you can but you can run sentiment analysis on your crm so what did they say when they complained what words commonly come up and you can scale that on then target your interviews to this seems to be a pain point here's where we're going to go talk to people and here's what we're going to fix as a business to do but you've got to take that seriously that's as much money spent on your making sure somebody who i've already charged money and i've won is happy as it is getting new people. And that's a cultural fit slash business decision. And look at review scores, uh, websites. Like Daphne showed yesterday the Trustpilot thing that you can learn a lot <laughs> of that, of how happy or unhappy your customers are, what they say. So I think that's, um, don't measure it yourself, but it is out there for big companies. There are so many websites where people leave their comments. You can really use that as input. And if you're, if you're a small company, just call them. <laughs> phone call from the owner saying, hi, did, well, yeah. be honest, did we do well? What can we do better next time? We're interested in doing that. That phone call and mm. an honest human, don't make it a target for your junior or intern, owner doing it, huge win. And in B2B also. Oh, B, yeah, B2B account management <laughs> stuff. What can we do better next time? Yeah. 
people are surprised, like, wow, we have a supplier that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> interested you, you in us. terrible. I didn't like the product. Say. Doesn't fit me. But the <laughs> yep. fact you, yep. the fact you phoned <laughs> me up and asked, <laughs> makes you stand out head and shoulders above more than any banner advert or retargeting you could have done. I'm trying to find if there's like a way to quantify. Because this, I totally agree, I totally agree following up with clients and having open questions. But if there's, there's a way to quantify whatever change you're making, if it is having an impact on the retention or whatever, not based on customer happiness. Yeah, but over time you will see your retention rate improve. Like if, you, if your return customer retention rate is X and you're making a lot of effort that's designed to do that, you won't be able to put your finger on mm. it and say, this one thing did it. But if you've got a cumulative plan of our overall objective is higher retention with happier customers, and we're going to start measuring it with this, this all sounds a lot like testing. You know, here's the hypothesis, here's the thing we're going to change, here's the results we'd expect to see if it was successful. But more long-term, right? I think it's got, yeah, it's got more to like be a, a short-term measurable thing that I'm implementing this now. Well, it's something you can measure over time as well to see if there's like any... Yeah, but it's a time series analysis we show that. It makes sense, makes sense and sounds logical to me. Mm. We're talking about lifetime value. You can't optimize lifetime value as a quick fix. It's like the clues in the title, lifetime. Oh, it's going to take a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. happiness is incredibly important. Yeah. And you see, we, we just finished a study with uh, online shoppers, and what we saw is that Cool Blue scored highest before and after the sale, 4.7 out of 5. So for me, that means that customer happiness and caring about your customers is important. And then you see that other companies they're way behind most e-commerce companies are a lot behind so there is a definitely a relation between customer happiness and retention so and if you if you've yeah. got the data points if you are tracking across not just sale but the reaction to the, the mm -hmm. thank you email the open rates where they sit in the database how often you see them if you're on a SaaS tool how often they log in which tools they use to log in all the product analytics mash that all together you can infer signals going this is the behavior of a happy renewing customer We've got a lot of people who look like him or her. This is the behavior of somebody who's highly likely to churn. Ooh, we've got quite a few of them too. That's the area to look at. You're not improving your already retaining people, but you are looking at people who should be retainers and don't match the pattern you're seeing elsewhere. And that gives you a ton of targets to test, which you can go, right, ooh, our three-month are you doing okay emails got really poor return rates on the people who are about to churn. Let's maybe do it at one month and two months and three months because we need an earlier signal than that and we can take action. <laughs> but so you still, same, same techniques, just applied with a, a wider lens. Oh, we can still do A-B testing. <laughs> right. That's nice. Thanks. Still do A-B testing. I just t tend to pay other people to do it for me now. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Carl. Thank you, Tim. We're already out of time. We'll give a hand for our panelists. Um, of course, uh, Tim and Carl are just going to keep talking, but I'll, I'll just uh, uh, <laughs> put the slides down. Um, uh, thanks, everyone. Thank you for joining. Thanks for the questions. Uh, thanks for all the panelists. Thanks, Ruben, for keeping me in check. And I uh, hope you enjoy the rest of your day.